Chapter Seven of Tales of the Royal Irish Constabulary by Unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Stranger Within the Gates. After the loss of the American arms, the district of Ballybor remained quiet for some considerable time, so that the hard-working farmers in the country and respectable shopkeepers in the town began to hope at last that the trouble was over and that they might be free to carry on their work in peace unfortunately a quiet and peaceful district is anathema to the Sinn Féin ghq and before long a volunteer flying column received orders to operate in the ballybor district with a view to stirring up trouble and bringing the country into line with the south by this time the large moderate element of Sinn Féin, in other words, practically every man who had a stake in the country, substantial farmers with haggards to burn and prosperous shopkeepers with shops to burn, realized that they had backed a losing horse and were prepared to do any mortal thing for peace except help the police unfortunately the farmers sons and shop boys who in the usual course of events but for the war would have been in the states by now took quite a different view twenty pounds in the pound rates burnt haggards and ruined businesses meant nothing to boys who paid no rates nor owned shops or farms up to the winter of nineteen nineteen the rebels moved about the country in motors how when and where they liked even during the time when every gallon of petrol was being kept for the armies in france and the loyalists were only allowed six gallons a month on paper de valera and his staff burnt petrol as freely as a connaught peasant will drink poteen in connection with this it would be interesting to know into whose petrol tanks the many thousands of gallons of petrol which was washed up on the western shores of ireland from torpedoed vessels passed and the system of collection and distribution after this winter when the use of cars for illegal purposes became more and more restricted as the car permit regulations became stricter and more rigidly enforced the volunteers began to make great use of bicycles and their flying columns consisted of cyclists only orders were issued from g h q that every volunteer must be able to ride a bicycle and local commandants were instructed to see that every man in their command had one during the moans retreat the cyclists were invaluable both for fighting small rearguard actions and also for keeping in contact with the enemy during the present war in ireland the explanation of the mysteries of how men can shoot policemen from behind a wall and then disappear into thin air and of how a column of gunmen can shoot up a train in kerry on monday and ambush a police lorry in clare on tuesday is to be found in the intelligent use of the humble pushbike and until the authorities round up every pushbike in ireland these mysteries will continue as soon as ghq determined that the ballybor district must be brought into line with the south a small party of gunmen operating at the time many miles to the south received their orders and late that night a silent and ghostly party of cyclists rode into the ballybor district at a certain crossroads they were met by guides and long before daybreak the gunmen were billeted in ones and twos throughout the townland of clunala 
the following night a meeting of the local volunteers was held in the national school and the leader of the gunmen insisted that a police ambush or an attack on the grouse lodge barracks should take place within the next few nights the general opinion being against an attack on the barracks the field of fire was too good and the black and tans too handy with their rifles it was settled by the gunmen that the police should be ambushed at a favourable spot where the main road from ballybor to castleport passed through a wooded domain the next morning father tom the parish priest was besieged by the young volunteers fathers men who had homes and haggards to burn one and all imploring his reverence to prevent an ambush in the parish and save them from the wrath of the auxiliaries some of them when asked confessed that the gunmen were staying in their houses but that their sons had brought them there without leave and that they were powerless to get rid of them from the beginning of the movement father tom who was young for a parish priest and an ardent Sinn Feiner in theory had been one of the leaders in the district and even when burning houses and haggards began to follow murderous ambuscades in far-away county cork as surely as day follows night he still felt a thrill of pride for his countrymen who were giving their all for freedom and became a fiercer Sinn Feiner than ever but an ambush and the sequel in his own beloved parish was a very different thing and a calamity to be avoided at all costs his house stood high and would give a splendid view at night of burning houses and haggards and there was obviously no time to lose the next day was sunday and at mass father tom who was a fine preacher thundered forth from the altar a vivid imagination stimulated his eloquence to such a pitch that he reduced most of the older members of his flock to tears he told them that it had come to his ears that certain men in the parish were harboring strangers within their gates and that these strangers had been trying to incite young and innocent boys to murder policemen he then described the result of an ambush how houses were burnt to the ground and women and little children were turned out on the road on a winter's night he did not mention the men knowing that by then they would be up in the mountains and how innocent men were shot in their beds before the eyes of their wives but he said nothing about the widow and orphans of the murdered policeman finally he warned his flock against the strangers who would fade away before the wrath of the soldiers and auxiliaries fell on the parish and commanded that they should be instantly turned out under the direst penalties and with a last curse on the strangers he left the chapel if father tom had thundered from the altar against ambushes many many months before instead of openly encouraging the volunteers the result might have been very different but a leader of men who gives an order to-day and a counter-order to-morrow is rarely obeyed that night it was learnt that a party of military would proceed from castleport to ballybor on wednesday night and it was settled to ambush them at the spot chosen in the domain the gunman promising that a carload of arms and bombs would arrive in time for the ambush and also a doctor in the Clunala district there lived, nowadays, Arara Avis, in the west of Ireland, a Protestant farmer of the old yeoman type, so well known in England, and a staunch loyalist. To his house there came on that Sunday night two of the leading farmers, who told him the whole story of the proposed ambush, and begged him to warn the police. 
the chapel of clunala stands in the centre of the parish close to a crossroads and on that wednesday morning the inhabitants woke up to find a kilted sentry on guard at the crossroads and before most of them could get out of bed two companies of highlanders guided by blake were hard at work searching every house for strangers blake had brought with him two old regular r i c sergeants men who had been stationed in the district for years and who knew every man young and old but the gunmen had been in trouble before and were not to be caught so easily they were all young men and clean-shaved and before the police and highlanders entered any of their billets one and all were dressed as women with shawls over their heads and in one house where two of them had been billeted the highlanders found a young woman sitting on a stool by the fire nursing a baby under her shawl while another pretty shawled girl was preparing breakfast for the young mother a big highlander could not resist giving her a glad eye little knowing that uh, she was a notorious gunman and wanted to the tune of a thousand pounds for the brutal murder of a d i as he was leaving church the only result of the raid was the finding of an old shotgun in the bed of the local blacksmith a man who had always defied the local volunteers and kept a gun for poaching only and who was taken off to ballybor barracks amidst the jeers of everybody however in a few days they realized how useful and necessary a person a smith is in a country district and before the week was out the whole townland was clamoring for the smith's release however the raid had good results the volunteers refused point-blank to carry out the ambush on wednesday night though the gunmen stayed until that day making every endeavor to bring it off finding it was useless they disappeared that night as silently as they had come promising to return shortly in greater numbers the whole district heaved a sigh of relief when it was known that there were no longer any strangers within the gates and settled down to farm and lead the life god meant them to live and hoped against hope that they might never see a cursed stranger again be he gunman or auxiliary blake let it be known that it was a case of no ambush no auxiliaries and every farmer in the district was quite content to keep his side of the bargain but peace was not yet to be the portion of punala within three weeks of the first gunman leaving a party of twenty arrived on a wild winter's night and as on the former occasion as silently dispersed to their allotted billets this time the leader of the gunmen did not ask the local volunteers to help but ordered them to carry out the ambush in the wooded domain on the main road from castleport to ballybor as previously arranged the gunmen did not appear during the daytime at all and had been nearly a week in the district before father tom heard of their arrival unfortunately the priest was very ill with influenza at the time and before he could take any action the damage was done as usual the scene of the ambush was laid with great cleverness between the two entrance gates of the domain on the main road there was a sharp rise in the form of an s bend with a thick thorn hedge on each side of the middle of this bend where the rise was steepest there was a lane leading to the keeper's house about fifty yards from the road and at the entrance of this lane the gunman laid a mine in the main road to be fired by an electric wire running towards the keeper's house after laying the mine they forced the road contractor of that part of the road 
to cart broken stones and lay them right across the road over the mine so that all traces of the mine were hidden the day after the mine had been laid word came to cloonalla that the police had arrested three men in ballybor during the previous night and that it was thought that the prisoners would be sent to castleport that night in a crosley under a strong police escort as soon as it was dark the gunmen after parking their bicycles in a wood of the domain collected all the volunteers they could induce or force to accompany them and made their way across country to the scene of the ambush the night was unusually fine with a full moon and two hours after the volunteers and gunmen had taken up their positions the peculiar note of a crosley engine could be distinctly heard approaching at a great pace from the ballybor direction the gunman who had laid the mine was a first-class electrician and as the car tore past the lane there was a blinding flash followed by a terrific roar and the car seemed to jump clean off the road and then collapse in a burning heap on the road with the roar of the mine the ambushers opened a heavy fire on the car but receiving no reply they quickly ceased fire waiting to see what would happen next but the mine had done its work only too well and the only sounds which could be heard were the groans of dying men amid the burning ruins of the car after some minutes two policemen rolled out of the end of the car and lay on the high road one man with both his legs paralyzed crying piteously for water and the second with part of his head blown away by a flat-nosed bullet crying for a priest up to this point the leader of the gunmen had taken charge of all the proceedings and when the volunteers were collected on the road like a flock of sheep they still waited for orders however after five minutes as no order was given they began to look for their leader suddenly to realize that every gunman had faded away at once every volunteer started to make his way home as fast as he could and within two minutes the only occupants of the road were the two dying policemen lying like two black logs in the white moonlight presently a terror-stricken keeper crept out of his house and as soon as his scattered wits could take in the situation he got out his bicycle and rode into ballybor for help long before day broke columns of soldiers r i c and auxiliaries concentrated on and met at that horrible scene on the road between the two domain gates and shortly afterwards broke like a tornado on the townland of clunalla and father tom from his bedroom window saw his worst fears realized when daylight came the parish was at last clear of all strangers and avengers but at a terrible price a quick-witted policeman remembered that the only limestone road in clunalla was the road from ballybor to castleport so that it was easy to tell in a house by an inspection of boots if any man of that household had been present at the ambush and that night the fathers suffered for the sins of their sons and the sons paid the full price of the gunman's crime like good soldiers the gunmen carefully thought out their line of retreat before the ambush took place they found that a broad river ran through the domain parallel to and about four hundred yards from the main road that the nearest bridges above and below were five miles away and that across the river ran a range of wild and desolate country 
In a wood on the bank of the river they found fishing boats used for netting salmon during the summer time, and before the ambush the leader sent two of his men to collect all these boats at a certain part of the river, and to remain there in readiness to take the remainder and their bicycles across. As soon as the ambush was over, they collected their bicycles, crossed the river, and were soon riding through a little-known pass in the mountains on their way to carry on their devil's work in a part of the country many miles removed from the scene of the Kunala ambush. End of chapter 7